I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Golf Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we're talking about where Live Golf stands at the end of its 2023 season. The Saudi-funded Golf League's team championship in Miami is coming up this week, so I figured it would be a good time to take stock and see what's going on in Live Golf. My guest is Adam Woodard. He's a reporter for Golf Week who covers Live on a regular basis. He and I will talk about a, a variety of storylines that defined this year for Liv, including its recent rejection by the official World Golf Ranking, which is currently playing out as a, as a controversy. Um, we're also going to talk about Liv's supposed agreement with the PGA Tour, where that stands, as well as the league's declining status in the news cycle. I think it's fair to say that we haven't heard as much from Liv Golf this year. Before we get to Adam, though, I wanted to put in a quick word for Friday Golf's membership. It's called Club TFE, and you get a number of things with it, including in-depth golf course write-ups and videos and other content. You can find out about everything that comes with the membership at thefriday.com slash membership. But one specific thing we did for members recently was give them a sneak peek at our 2024 Friday Golf Events calendar. We've got a bunch of cool golf courses lined up for our 2024 events. Some of these events are exclusive to Club TFE members, and for others, members will have early access for registration. That is a major perk of being part of Club TFE. So again, sign up at thefriday.com slash membership, and we hope to see you in the club. All right, here is Adam Woodard on Live Golf's 2023 season. All right, Adam Woodard, why don't we start with the latest news out of Live Golf World, and that is that the tour's application for official World Golf ranking points has been denied. Maybe not a big surprise, but can you take me through this story and why it's important for Liv and, and its players? I'm kind of actually surprised that it wasn't accepted, given how long it took. I mean, it's the, the whole discussion was what usually takes a year. It could be up upwards of a year-long process for a lot of people. I think when that one Asian tour uh, got fun or got points, it was almost 18 months. And that was right in the middle of Liv's application last year in July. So I thought the longer that it went on, it was kind of going to be like, oh, they might actually, they're working out a way to give them points, whether it's based on only a select few, it's based on the tournament. You know, it's obviously going to be tiered, you know, that they won't get the same amount of points that a PGA Tour or DP World Tour event would get. But I thought they might actually get them. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that they didn't. The one thing I am kind of shocked about was was Liv's response to to not getting points. I thought the one thing that really stood out from that very lengthy statement that they put out was they didn't once address the main issue that the OWGR brought up, which is the fact that they couldn't get around the fact that it's a closed door circuit, which is 95% true. And the 5% that it's not true is Liv does plan to have that promotion relegation for next season, but it's only three players that can get in. And players who are relegated can still play their way in. So like it's not like in, you know, in English football, we know a lot about in English soccer, excuse me, we know a lot of you know promotion relegation. Once you're relegated, like you're in the bottom tier. Like you're done for the next year. You right. can't you immediately work your way get your back way up. In. Yeah. You yeah, you've got to like a spend a year in the lower league. Exactly. Like Liv has no you're not gonna spend a year on the Asian tour. No, you can spend if two you're, months if you're Henrik Stenson or whatever. And yeah, you, you spend yeah. two months without a job for next year, but then you can still play your way in to, through one of those spots. Um, they, they do give for the Asian tour, the order of merit, the international series, that order of merit, you know, that's how Andy Ogletree is going to get a spot for next year. He's basically already locked in for that. So they have three spots up for grabs. So it's not a fully closed circuit, but 
for the most part it is, but I just thought it was crazy that they released that huge, long, lengthy statement, like Tiger Woods-esque level of saying a whole lot without saying nothing at all. And the fact that they didn't address the one concern that the OWGR brought up, I thought was kind of kind of interesting and telling in a way. Yeah, that that is a little bit odd. Why don't we why don't we do basics for a second here? Yeah. What were the stakes of this decision by the OWGR for Liv? What would it have meant for them to get world ranking points? And what does it mean that they are apparently not going to get them? Well, what, what it what it would have meant had they gotten points was easier access into majors. As we all know, the o, you know the OWGR's main position is yes, rank players, but it also goes through to get players into majors. Now, the stakes now, now that they're not going to be getting points is, well, are, are the majors going to have to think up some sort of, you know, exemption criteria for live players? Do you take the top five, the top 10, the top whatever from their points list and give them exemptions into majors? Maybe. Who knows? I think that's going to be the easiest way to do it. Each major can have already has their own credential already has their own criteria for giving exemptions in spots so i think every major is probably going to have a different take on live going forward if they have any at all or if the status quo remains the same if you've seen phil mickelson on twitter this morning he's going off and doing doing his thing replying to people and giving his opinions uh but i think the 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 biggest issue now is going to be well you know live is saying that the owgr isn't a credible world ranking system anymore and in some ways you could they, there is some merit to that if they're not going to be ranking those live players but at the same time live has been open to changing its format they do live officials will say this all the time if you ask how it's going and you know what's a talking point for them they say well you know we're building the plane while it's already in the air so and that's what they've been doing for the last 18 months when they started when phil made those scary mfers quote you know they've been adapting they've been changing quickly and that's been something they've been able to do is they can make changes if they see fit and if they need to is Liv going to be able to put their pride aside and change up some things to open up the doors a little bit? I don't think that's going to happen in the short term. A lot of their players still have a year or two left on contracts. So that'd be kind of difficult to do to open up more positions for players. Uh, but I, it's, it's that at this point, it's looking like if Liv doesn't change their format, they're not getting points. It seems to be as simple cut and dry as that. But we'll see what happens over the next, you know, three or four months or so with the framework agreement. Maybe that changes something if this deal does get pushed through. But it's it's all up in the air right now, with even more so. But it, the, the ramifications for them not getting points is going to be pretty big going forward. I should clarify that we are recording this on Thursday, October 12th. <laughs> it's going to come out next week. Yeah. I should always make that note when we're discussing Live because these are dynamic situations. But yes, as you mentioned, this morning, Phil Mickelson took to Twitter, as he does. He loves and it. <laughs> he loves it. He can't, he can't get enough he can't of that. can't stop himself, yeah. Yeah. Um, so his he's, he's going argument. at Trevor Immelman, Kyle Porter, yeah. like everybody can uh, get it. Like step I mean, up. Like, if you, Phil is, Phil is ready to go this morning and he's ready to go this week. He's taken on the world. Um, so his basic argument, as I, as far as I can tell, is that the majors are protecting themselves. And this would seem to be an odd argument because the main entity that gets protected by Liv not receiving world ranking points would surely be the PGA Tour. Yeah. Because if Liv doesn't have world ranking points, a lot of currently informed great players are not going to go there because yeah. they don't want to risk missing the majors. But Phil is taking this a step further and saying that the majors are protecting themselves because after all, it was the governing bodies and the majors that made this decision essentially. Yeah. Um, and so his basic argument is a little bit convoluted to my ear, but what he's saying is that if there were a world in which Liv had world ranking points and all of the best players in the world decided to play for Liv, then all of a sudden, Liv would have more bargaining power with the majors, and that would ultimately hurt the majors because they would have to end up, I guess, giving up more money to the players because Liv is more player-focused as far as Phil is concerned. And so the majors don't want that, according to Phil. Yeah. That's his argument. Is this what people in Live World are starting to think about the OWGR issue, that it's not just Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour pulling the strings with it, that all of the majors are sort of ganging up against Liv and, and trying to make sure that it's not successful? 
Yeah, they've been live and folks and people tied in with Liv have been playing the victim card since they tried to team up with the Minotaur in the middle of the night, thinking that would <laughs> automatically get them points. And then, that was such a strange little story. And it's, that was it, one one gambit that Liv used to try to get world ranking points. Was one of to many associate itself with an, essentially a dead tour yeah. that did happen to have OWGR status. Just and thinking so that were, just because if you say, "Oh, we're right. aligned with them now," that's going to get us in. Like that, I, right. that I still can't believe. Like reporting on that story and calling people, f- figuring that out. It's one of the most. It's one of the w- more wild moves that Liv has made over the last few last few years. But they, it also shows they're willing to try anything to get points. So going back to what we said earlier, that means they might be willing to to open up their criteria and change things up because they are willing to do whatever it takes to be successful and to get that seat at the table. They've shown that. Now, they want to do everything other than comply with the OWGR, which they've also shown. But I just think it's crazy how, you know, they're just willing to say, hey, you know what, we're going to try this. And it's and just trying to speak it into existence. And then the massive issue that the OWGR has with them, they just don't even address it, don't even talk about it. It just it, it blows my mind that they're not even willing to entertain that publicly. But, you know, live officials, they, they want to play the victim card. They were saying this in... In Mexico, we had one of those like behind closed doors meetings with a select group of the media to talk about their their pathways to live and their promotion relegation system. And even then stuff was talked about how they were they were weren't getting the kind of response from the OWGR that they thought that they deserved. And at that point, they had already put their application in and didn't make any changes to their system. So I don't really know what they were looking for other than they knew what was what was expected of them and what the OWGR wanted. And they just expected them to to bend over and do what they do, what they say. And that's just not going to happen. It's it, there's there, there's too many different entities at play. And I think it's really important to point out what you said. A lot of what live officials were upset with early on throughout this process was the fact that, you know, Jay Monahan, Keith Pelly, guys from the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour were on the board, and they thought that that was a massive conflict of interest. Which, in a way, yeah, kind of was. So yeah, I buy those, that. They yeah, I, I, and they recuse themselves right? absolutely. And yeah. then it was the majors that yeah. did it. So now they're directing fire at the majors, and it's 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 the same thing all over again. But instead of you know Monahan and Pelly in the crosshairs, it's going to be the Green Jackets at Augusta National, the folks at the RNA, and the PGA of America in the USG. Yeah. And this live versus the majors stance that now seems to be getting adopted by the likes of Phil Mickelson is a little bit odd to me because one thing that the majors can do to render all of this irrelevant is just to provide an acceptable number of spots in their tournament to the top whatever number of players on the live points list. And that would essentially circumvent the OWGR's power to determine which players get to play in the majors. Now, I I should be more specific about this because I believe that the PGA Championship does not currently use OWGR criteria. That's right, yeah. The Masters does and the US Open does. I Mm -hmm. often get this wrong, so to the listeners, I apologize. I'm a golf architecture reporter. Yeah. But um, in any case, I think that's the case. Uh, And so there are complexities with each major that need to be considered. But if the PGA Championship, the US Open, and the Masters, and the Open Championship all decided we're going to, you know, say that the top 10 or 12 on the live points list, you all can be in the major, suddenly the OWGR stuff is kind of irrelevant, right? Because that's all this really boils down to is access to the majors. I agree. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I also find interesting is the fact that they want to play the victim card, but also two of those majors you can go play your way into. Like they're opens. Like if you want to play the open, you want to play the US open, go qualify. Like Mm -hmm. you knew that this was going to be a potential, you know, risk when you went to live. That was well known. And anybody who says it wasn't well known is lying or naive or an unpleasant mix of the two. But like Taylor Gooch last year getting all upset about not getting in, like then go qualify. And then he played the victim. Woe is me card. They don't want me there. If they don't want me there, I'm not going to go. Well, then then stop complaining and, and, and pipe down and go play on live and go go make your tens of millions of dollars like he's made this year. And he's played well this year on live. I'll give it to him. Not to pop Taylor too much, even though he's a very easy target for some of the stuff that he says sometimes. <laughs> but it's just that just that look at us woe is us thing that it just it drives me nuts when there are there are ways around this and this can be avoided but to your point though i think like i said earlier and like you just said 
it's going to come down to the majors giving exemptions. But I have no idea like what what number is would be would work and what number is the proper way. Is it five? Is it ten? Like I, I have no idea what that would even look like or what would even need to go into creating that kind of exemption criteria. Right. Yeah. And and I don't know if anyone would even be happy with the number yeah, that they'll always a major want more. would come up with. You know, number yeah. thirteen on the list, if it's twelve, would be like, Well, what about me? Yeah. You know, so so it would all kind of be messy, but I suppose major exemptions kind of always are. There's always somebody on the outside looking in. Yeah. Right. That is the source of the OWGR's power right now. That's why everybody is arguing about it. That's really what it comes down to, because otherwise it's just a ranking that, I don't know, some players kind of care about getting world number one and, yeah. and invest in that. But I feel like that feeling maybe has gone away over the past couple of years and that really what it comes down to is access to the majors. And that is why the OWGR is currently powerful. But, you know, the OWGR has criteria. Yeah. And... Which which Those they said can be flexible. Have, to be fair, they said they can be flexible right. with some of the areas, which they said in the you know Dawson said to the said to Doug Ferguson with the AP in his in his initial story that broke that news. Like they Absolutely. they're willing to be they're flexible. Guidelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are you know criteria is maybe a misleading word. They're not requirements. They're not rules. They're guidelines that the OWGR board uses to yeah. determine whether a certain tour qualifies. And a lot of tours have have qualified that haven't necessarily had the had the you know most consistently competitive or, or traditional types of events, and so to an extent, you can understand why some live folks are are unhappy with this uh, decision. Absolutely. But now that we all are aware of what the OWGR's key criteria are in a way that we definitely weren't a few years ago. I mean, I know so much more about yeah. what the OWGR asks of a golf league now than 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 I was, you know, a couple of years ago. But you know, Liv can make some changes presumably to uh reverse this decision next year. I don't yeah. know if they're inclined to do that, whether there's any chance that they're going to do that, but what changes would live need to make what are the key things here would it be this kind of uh promotion and relegation you know uh, uh open access to the league and and a possibility of being demoted from the league is that the main issue or are there other things that live would need to alter in order to become acceptable to the OWGR yeah, I'm looking into this more now because now now this has really piqued my interest over the last few days with all of this happening and really digging into what you know what the OWGR wants from a live. But if you just look at the AP story, the the main reason was the fact that it was a closed system and that they don't have an open door policy for other players to play their way in. If you can only allow three new players at most or four new players at most in, it's it just doesn't. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the way to go, and they're going to need to open that up to even more people. And the fact that, like, if you're a captain and you are in the relegation zone, you're automatically in. Like, the way that Liv sees contracts, they see them as exemptions, basically. So if, I, however many years Phil has left on his deal, he could come DFL in every event for an entire year. And as long as he still has a contract for that next year, as a captain, he's in. Like, there are two guys currently, I think it's Martin Keimer and... Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood, one of three captains for the Majestics, I might add. So they have three guys that are locked in, no matter <laughs> how bad they play. It's like they alternate. Yeah, it's it's. it's if you so have one, ca if you have three captains, do you even have one? I don't know. It's got to be uh, a fine. Yeah, definitely not. It's got to be a financial thing of some for sure. Some kind yeah, of, and, the, and like the, the, the question and the and, fact that it's 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 Lee Westwood and and Martin Keimer who to to Martin Keimer's you know defense, he's been hurt for most of the year, so he's obviously going to be towards the bottom. But they're in that drop zone area, those those last four spots. But because they have contracts for next year and their captains they're in they don't right. get to they're, they're not getting dropped so i think that's another thing that you can't have you can't call it promotion relegation if you have built-in you know i don't know i don't know what the word is but built-in protections, protections thank you yeah yeah to, to to keep players in the one thing i also think is just is just so funny is the fact that for that promotion relegation event i think it's like the top 200 or 250 maybe from the owgr are allowed to go to that promotion relegation that promotion tournament that they're going to have next year so it's like on one side live saying oh these guys you know the, the owgr like let's, let's condemn it it's not credible anymore and then at the same time they're using it to to fill their promotion fields 
Like it's just I just yeah. find that so funny. The fact that it's just like talking the about both sides the, of the mouth. They're not going to use the SI uh, World Golf uh, rankings. That, uh, uh, that come come up use up the Golf Week Sagarin rankings. The head to heads. You, you know, go, go to the go to Data ranking. Golf. Yeah, it's something in it. Yeah, there are there are other options out there. You know, it's so funny, actually, because there are a number of alternate rating uh, rankings that have popped yeah. up in the past couple of years now. Um, I don't even want to name them, but they're on Twitter and 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 they're trying to get attention for themselves. And Sports Illustrated, of course, came up with its own ranking that was, you know, yeah. uh, endorsed by Lab Golf Putters, which is connected with Bryson DeChambeau, et cetera. And so, yeah, look into that story yourself. But there are these other rankings. But every time I see one of them mentioned, I I see a, a somebody from Golf Week, uh, you know, uh, will pop in and be like, what about the Sagarin rankings? Yeah. We've been around for a while. Why is nobody paying any attention? attention to the Sagarin rankings and it's true the yeah. golf week has been doing this for a while for a very long I think time Data golf has a pretty good uh, broad uh ranking so there are resources available but the owgr is really still the authoritative one even even for uh people on live so yeah. that is uh anyway okay i think we've talked enough about the rankings issue but that that is gonna that's the that's the main news right for now sure. and yeah. it's gonna continue to be discussed for sure and it will affect potentially the way that live shapes itself over the next few years, because this is obviously very important for the recruiting of players to, to have some kind of pathway to the majors. All right. Yeah, the so only, like, yeah, the, the only incentive new players would have to go is the money at this point. There's nothing else that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and players who are in their prime yeah. are going to want to play in the majors. And that's, that's Simple kind of one that. of the amazing things that we've learned through this whole live ordeal that the majors still have real power that goes beyond money. Um, the players who are in their prime want to play those events because they know that's where their legacy is formed. And that's something, although the majors offer incredible amounts of money, it's, it's really not about that. So yeah. uh, that's, that's at least one thing that we have learned that, that isn't totally soul killing over the past couple yeah, of years. Yeah. Here. Yeah. All right. So the other, huge live related story this year is that live and the PGA tour have established a framework agreement, the public investment they, fund in the PGA tour. And it's not a merger right. and it's not a merger. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Just, I, just because I, I know the live bots are going to come for you on that yeah. one. Yeah. It's a, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Looking it's out for public you, investment fund of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> it's live has nothing to do with it, right? Nothing, yeah, nothing a, to do with it. As, as if live isn't a subset of the public nope. investment as if fund. The, of, as if the chairman of live isn't going to be, yeah, isn't, isn't going to be the new chairman of the board for this new <laughs> right. entity. Yeah. But they're not connected at all. It's all it's all uh, Yasser's all the way down. Um, yeah. So uh, Yasser Al-Rumayan is who, um, who we're referring to here. Um, all right. So the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia and the PGA Tour have established a framework agreement. They dropped the litigation against each other that was ongoing and have essentially agreed to work together in the future. Can you give me and our listeners an idiot's guide to what this agreement basically contained? The 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 one big thing that you mentioned was the dropping of the lawsuits. I think that was honestly the biggest thing to move for for them. If they were ever going to move forward, they had to stop the lawsuits first. And if they were yeah, ever going to have any the sort only of actionable the item, that was yeah. like the only action. It's the only thing that's the rest of it was just intentions. Maybe we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll 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 see where it comes from there. But no, it's the the dropping of the lawsuits was definitely the biggest thing to come from it. It's well, it's frankly the only thing that's come from it at this point, outside from some very funny Senate hearings. Uh, it's it's. <laughs> It's confusing to wrap your head around because I know you and I were talking offline yesterday. It's like one day I think it's going to go through, the next day I don't. But basically the the short answer version is they dropped the lawsuits and that the the PIF and the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour were going to combine their assets to make a for-profit golf entity called a new co. I think new co, there was PGA Tour, whatever they were thinking about calling it. There's going to create a for-profit entity that they're going to be able to to make money off of and to bring their their products together. It's going to inject a whole bunch of life and money into the PGA Tour while also giving PIF the ability to break their way officially into golf and to be have a, even a bigger seat at the table than they already do. They have until the end of the year to push this through. From people that I'm talking to, it's some are very adamant that it's going to happen and some are starting to... Oh, maybe not. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think like everything that's happened over 
the last 18 months, it's going to go to the 11th hour. It's going to come end of end of December before we get any sort of movement on this. I think there's just so much at stake for the future of professional golf as we know it for the future of the PGA tour, potentially the future of the LPGA. If there is any sort of movement on that front, which there have been rumors and talks that 2025 or 2026 that Piff and Liv might want to start getting involved with the women's game in some point. That's all conjecture. That's all just rumors and hearsay of people talking about what may happen. That's not me reporting anything. Let's get that clear. But there's, there's just so much money at stake here, and there is so much on the line that I'd be shocked if it doesn't go through. Because both sides have way too much to lose if it doesn't go through, I think. And yeah. I, what, I, I don't even know what 2024 would look like if this doesn't go through at this point. It, it, so it, you, it, think it's there's, you think there's a kind of deadline here, right? For sure. The, this, this has to be – something has to be done By the end before the, the seasons start up again. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I mean, we're getting reports right now. Bob Herrig of, of SI, I believe, recently reported that there could be a delay in making this agreement official, which is not surprising. But no. It does, you know, I mean – that there, if, if there's no action by the time the seasons start up again, then then what good is the framework agreement exactly. at all? I suppose yeah. so. Um, so there is a little bit of time pressure here on on these two sides. So, all right. So so looking at this deal from the PIF's perspective or from Liv's perspective, why do you think they thought it was a good idea? I think well, one the lawsuits for on 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 both sides of the aisle there, like some some bad stuff was gonna come out on both sides. You have a feeling where you know with, with the things that Liv was doing with you know some of their some of their actions at getting players to go and some of the some of the things they've done, and then obviously with the PGA Tour and trying to keep players. I'm 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 only assuming that there was some some less than stellar things happening behind the scenes when it comes to to vendors and wanting to keep players and all that. It just it didn't seem like it was all above board, and it's. I think it's going to save face for a lot of both of the operations, except for, you know, the PJ tour now goes back on their word of saying, you know, we're not going to have to do this. You know, you've never, when Jay said, you never had to apologize for playing on the PGA tour. All that goes, all that goodwill goes out the window with that. But with Liv and I think with, with Yasser in particular, it just adds even more legitimacy. If you're, if you're with a, if you're connected to the PGA tour and the DP world tour, they're still seen as outsiders. They're still seen as this upstart renegade circuit that's out there where if you finally have this coming together and you can invest in and you can invest with the PGA tour and work alongside the PGA tour, like we talked about earlier, that probably opens up the door to getting more access to majors that talks that's that it's all interconnected. All of these golf organizations are all intertwined and interconnected and they all feed off of each other. So for, for live to get an even bigger seat at the table for that, it just made too much sense for, for them to try and make this move and come together. And frankly, just speaking at a completely like 30,000 feet view, like a, a divided game isn't good for anybody. Sure. It drives up competition and stuff, but for the fans, for the people that really matter, you know, it, a, a divided Divided tours, divided circuits don't do anything. So if this can open up the door to get these players back, to get some of the best players back in majors, to get to reduce some of the divisiveness, I get it. I completely understand it. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did uh, with only a year and a half in to live. What they make that decision was at June 6th, I think, was the was the day that the MSNBC interview and all that happened. Um, but there's just, sounds there's, right to me. There's too much on the line. There's too much to lose for this not to go through, I think. And it's especially on the PGA tour side now that, you know, they're, they were hurting for money with the, with some of the decisions that they made and the, the, the court cost fees were, were going to be a problem coming up here in the future. But it's, there's just so much that both sides can gain from this. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it, you know, one thing, one advantage that the PIF had was money. Yeah, no doubt. The PGA Tour was getting hurt by the mm -hmm. costs of litigation. The PIF really wasn't. But it seems like there are a couple of things that were hurting or could hurt both sides. Yeah. One of which you mentioned, Discovery. But also, you know, Liv's Golf League hasn't skyrocketed. No. It hasn't it hasn't really taken off. It, it I mean, it, it just seems like a, a if it had taken off more then there would have been no need to partner or to intend to partner with the PGA tour. And I think a lot of that stemmed from the players that they brought in for, for a year or two, none of them really moved the needle. They didn't get a sort of Dustin Johnson. They didn't get a Bryson. They didn't get a Patrick Reed. 
you know, they didn't get a Cam Smith. They got a, a Charles Howell III. You know, they got a few other people like that. They didn't get the the big name talent that I think they thought they were going to get in the second go around. And I think that's affected their their their, their product. Though it's they still have a product that works and that stands on its that stands separate on its own, whether you like it or not. There's a market for it. That's we, that's been true since you and I met each other at the first event in Portland last year. It's been there's a market for it. it just depends on what you want out of professional golf. And like you said the interest just isn't hasn't been there around the golf this year like they thought it would. Come Sunday at events, sure. When the team event gets close and it gets tight at the end, it's like any sporting competition. You know, you can you can sleep through the first, you know, through the first couple quarters for a lot of things, but then once it gets tight at the end, that's when it gets interesting and you can see the fans do feed off of the team energy. And these guys really do care about the team aspect. I, I at first I thought that was all just kind of BS with the whole like oh we feel like we're back in college golf like I genuinely believe that's real. Like these guys are having fun together now. And now that they've got the team stuff worked out, like you can genuinely tell they love playing for each other. They love this, this new aspect, this different take on golf. I thought it was going to be complete nonsense and that there was all just, you know, a company line to, to, to explain the move and taking the money. But it, the, the team aspect is real. I'll say that, but it just still, like you said, just hasn't quite caught on the way that they thought it would. But yeah, like I said, yeah, it's, I mean, it's still two years in, like it's still very, right. very early and lives Absolutely. in lives defense. They are still very early on in this and, Granted, they had unlimited money to get this thing off the ground, but the fact that they were able to host an event as successfully as they did, host eight events in in a half a year as successfully as they did, was impressive. And TV is a big part of this. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit later. First, you know, just a, a few cleanup things on the framework agreement issue. I've been having a hard time personally envisioning what a post official agreement live PGA tour landscape would look like what would be different about the PGA tour? What would be different about live if these two entities were to unite through this nonprofit organization would live end? Would it have a reason to continue to exist? Would the PGA tour be significantly different? I mean, have you thought this through like what this world would be like I have I, I can't quite game plan what it would look like for the PGA Tour outside of them having more money to throw around and being able to to increase purse sizes a little bit and be able to maybe up their up the production for some of for some of what they're doing for Live I don't see anything changing in 2024 if this deal does go through they've got a schedule pretty much locked in at this point aside from a few a few tweaks and changes um, can't quite get that confirmed but I've got it on pretty good authority that they're there for 2024 and basically set to go. For 2025, they're already looking ahead from talking to live officials. They're already planning out courses for the future for, I know some of their contracts were up with a few of the courses that they've hosted events at the last two years, but they're already looking at properties for 2025. They've got places that are interested. I think live would expand and be the, the worldwide tour that it wants to be. I think we'll see more worldwide events and less U.S. events. Uh, going forward. I think those will be the majority. There'll probably be a good four or five still here in the States, but I think you'd see eight or nine potentially across the world. And they want to branch out. This is what Greg Norman's wanted since he tried to do the world tour in 94. And this is what Yasser loves too. Like he loves team golf. He loves this live concept. And if he's going to be the new chairman and the head of the board for this new co lives, not going anywhere. It's his baby. He will fight tooth and nail to keep it and to, and to keep it going. And I think now that we're starting to see live teams, you know, bring in sponsors and get apparel deals and stuff, they're showing that they can be like they can be profitable. And that's another profitable wing for the public investment fund. So sure, they're still way far in the red given how much they've paid to get this thing off the ground, the billions of dollars that they've thrown at this. But they live is showing that in ways it can be profitable. And with the with they got the C they got the CW TV deal. That's not gonna be a long term thing. That was a hey we're going to do this to show other you know, broadcast partners that we can do this. So I think it just means more for Live going forward than it does for the tour. I haven't quite gotten to figure out what it would look like, but I would be shocked if Live goes away. And maybe in the long term, if it doesn't stem out and if the team concept doesn't quite catch on like they think. But in the short term, I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error. Let's see what happens and we'll learn from it and move on. Kind of like how Live's been the last two years, I think. The thing that puzzles me about this potential for these two tours to work together. And I don't expect you to to know these details or for anybody to, to know how this would work. But 
would live players then get to play in PGA tour events fairly freely? What would it mean for a PGA tour player like Xander Schauffele or Patrick Cantlay to say, I'm going to live. Yeah. Obviously the PGA tour wouldn't want that, but if, but if the PIF and the PGA tour are working together, then are they rival leagues anymore? And will the PGA tour have anything to say to a player who is departing for live? Cause right now it makes sense that these are rival leagues. You don't want a player to leave the PGA tour and go to live. And once a player makes that decision, it is kind of definite, but what, what does that all look like if there's this nonprofit entity that the uh, PGA tour and the PIF are collaborating on? I, I think going to what you said earlier, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about players who went to live is that they all want to come back to the PGA tour. Most of them don't go talking to a lot of the people that I've, that I've spoken with and talked to, they are very happy with with their format. I, I know Cam Smith said it yesterday in the, in the Jetta press conference. He likes the fact that they're at, they're at 14 events. He plays the four majors that gets him to 18. He goes and plays some in Australia. He plays his 20, like he would have on, on the PGA tour. He likes the schedule. They like the break. They like how it's not as grueling of a week in and week out schedule with when it comes to media availability, when it comes to, you know, the, the multiple practice rounds and the pro-am, <clears throat> that you have to, you know, put the big smile and face on for everybody. They only have to play three rounds. It's it's just completely different. A lot of the guys like that. Talking to to Phil and some guys in Bedminster, they were Sergio, all those guys, very happy with their life. Now those are a lot of the older guys, so maybe some of the younger guys might want to go back and, you know, sure guys did say there are events on the PGA tour that, you know, we're we're close to our heart, whether we won there or we like the course, or we had some sort of sponsor connection there. They still have those relationships and those good relationships with a lot of those people, but I don't think as many guys would want to go back and play in PGA Tour events, and they wouldn't play in as many as, as some outsiders and some of us might think. I genuinely think that they like the the life that they have on live, and honestly for them, what's not to, what's not to like? Everything is catered towards them. They're making so much money, no matter how poorly you might play. It's... It's it's a it's a really good life for these guys. It really is. If they can if they can deal with the with the criticism that comes from from joining up with, it's 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 paid off for a lot of the guys. So I I think you it would open the door certainly for for players to come in. And to Liv's credit, from the start, they have always said that we don't want to be we want to be additive to the professional golf calendar. Right. We don't want then it's when they hosted events, they're not going up against the heritage designated events, whatever you want to call them. They've avoided a lot of those. They've avoided the majors. They've built their schedule around a lot of that. And I think that was a show of good faith to 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 the folks at the PGA Tour and DP World Tour. And the fact that they weren't trying to put events opposite Bay Hill or opposite of the players or, you know, Tiger's Genesis. I think that's a that's a feather in their cap now flip side of that is well of course no one's going to watch the live events when those events are going on you know it's it that's you got to meet in the middle there some way but i think that is a that is a sign of good faith from live and the fact that they did say that they want to be additive and they weren't going to overly challenge a lot of the pga tour's biggest events i'm still puzzled about this issue of players on the pga tour leaving for live in a post agreement world yeah and uh you know I get that once players are on live that they might not have any desire to play PGA tour events. I, I think that's really true. Now, yes, live has avoided key dates on the PGA tour calendar, but if Patrick Cantlay, after an agreement is established says, I want to play on the live tour, he's not going to have time to play many yep. PGA tour events, even if the live schedule is arranged around it. And so do you think there's going to be any, do you think there would be any collaboration there between the tours to make it so a Patrick Cantlay can play a significant number of events on live, but also devote some time to the PGA tour? Would, would that be the direction that you think they would go in? They would, that would have to be it because then Liv would also have to change up their format to be able to have substitutes play in if you weren't going to have right. the same guys play in every week. So that would make Liv would have to change their format. Um, I think if anything, 
it would be a, a dry run for a lot of the guys to go. And they, to, to be fair, you saying Cantlay and, and Shoffley, those are two guys that have long been rumored. You're not just you're not just spouting no, off because I'm of what happened at the Ryder Cup. Out of the hat. No, no, that's not. I don't think not, Roy's no. going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you've seen the quotes from Shipnuck's book about you know and all the stuff about they wouldn't want Rory you know to be over there. Anyway, yeah, sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't. Uh, you, 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 you're not interested in me. Well, I'm not interested in exactly. You. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's 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 all so up in the air. Like it's a lot of this is speculation. I wish I had more answers. I wish I could. There was a way to game plan this out and show it. But I mean, it was funny. I did a I did another another show with some people a couple of weeks ago, and Harold Varner the third was on with us. And you know, the host asked him, "Hey, so what can you tell us?" He goes, "I know as much as you guys do, if not less, because I'm not actually reading up and into it. They'll they'll tell me what they tell me, and we'll go from there." A lot of the guys are just kind of flying, you know, flying along with it and just saying, hey, we'll react to whatever happens. We like our life now. We'll go for it. But I mean, it would it would take a massive change in in PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and live for them to be able to have players play at the same time on both circuits. I think it would be. I mean, if they can't even figure out how to get this framework agreement together, I don't know how they're all three going to be able to get in a room and figure out a way to do that. Like, that's going to take time. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot. There's a lot of egos at play. There's going to be a lot of, you know, alphas in that room talking about it. Um, the PGA Tour seems like throughout this whole process that they seem to think that they're going to be the big dog when all of this is happening, even though Yasser, they, sure, they're going to control the board for this new co, but the man controlling the money, Yasser, a.k.a. Mr. Andrew Waterman, you know, they're at the he's at the <laughs> top. He's the money man. Like, I think the, the money's going to make the decisions and you got to follow the money and see where it goes. And yeah. It's yeah, I I wish I had more information for you, but it's just, it's all speculative at this point and trying to game plan it out. But if if the framework agreement does go through, I don't think we'll see as many changes in 2024. I think 2025 they'll they'll, they'll give it a year to figure it out. And then that'll yeah. be the that'll be the real test year to see what happens, because it's just yeah. Yeah. It, it would be way too fast of a turnaround to be able to get anything done in 2024. And like these organizations just can't move at that pace. Or at least the PGA Tour and DP World Tour can't. They're too big. Like lives to their credit, they're small enough that they were able to pivot and move, and and be able to change, you know, at the at the drop of a hat. But I think Andy said this once. Like they're, you know, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, they're like tanker ships. You know, they can't just. It takes a while for them to turn. They can't maneuver the way that Live can because they're just they're too big at this point. Yeah, and we've seen this with the designated events thing, where the PGA Tour basically like can try to make a quick change but but they're really not going to and maybe ultimately they're just going to revert to their former way of doing things because that's just easier but uh yeah i mean suffice it to say i don't expect you or anybody to have answers about what exactly a cooperative relationship between live or the PIF and the pga tour would look like i think what i'm maybe pointing out here is stuff that's going to come up when the sides discuss the agreement and you know i'm not a genius (laughs) but even i can see that this would be a difficult relationship to make work if live continues to exist in its current form because if these two sides are working together then that gives top players on the pga tour an awful lot of incentive to leave the pga tour and play full-time on live because one of the main things that's preventing them from doing that is the rivalry right now it's the the permanence of leaving for live and being cut off from the rest of the ecosystem well if that threat isn't there anymore i can't see a reason why a lot of players wouldn't remove themselves from the PGA tour circuit. And so I think that that's got to be something that the PGA tour is thinking about right now. How do we prevent this if we are working with the PIF? Yeah. And and it all goes back to what we were talking about earlier, not to bring up the OWGR again and all that, but if, if, if if a can't lay or a shop like, Oh, sure. They might have some long-term exemptions into a few of the majors, but those are going to end at some point. So how long would they stay with live? Would they be able to play enough PGA tour events or world ranking point events to be able to keep their status and still get into those would, if, if this does go through, does that mean this does, will live get points then all of a sudden, if they're aligned with the PGA tour this time, it's, there's so much stuff that's up in the air and so much that's going to have to change. But like you said, with these organizations working together, it opens up the door for, for so many new, new wrinkles and new things to happen. It's the, the, the future of professional golf and professional golf, as we know, it could look completely different in a year or two's time. And it's, I, I don't know if that's good for the fans or bad for the fans, honestly. 
I really don't. I mean, it's been mostly bad so far. Yeah, but but hopefully at some point somebody will will think about us. You know, Finger, we don't we don't crossed. we don't have a lot to offer, but but yeah. you know, we're no, we're that's here not for true. We have product. so much to offer. We have so much to <laughs> offer. Don't sell us short like that, Gary. We have our interest to offer. Yeah. Now for a quick word from AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you might know I've been drinking AG1 for about a year. I started right around this time last year. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I really noticed a difference in how I felt on a daily basis. Uh, I just felt more energy. I felt like I had better focus, and I generally felt healthier. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Even some of my friends have started to drink AG1, and they always tell me how much better they feel, how much more energy they have on a daily basis, and just how much better they feel their body uh, works. Uh, I share that sentiment. It's been really a great year. So AG1 is a sponsor of the show. They've really supported us over the last year. And AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Those are really handy when you're on the road. Go to drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. That's drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. Check it out. Now back to the show. Shifting topics. You know, you've been on site at a few live events this year. You've been tracking the league. I don't cover professional golf even full time. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of split my time between thinking about professional golf occasionally and mostly writing about golf architecture and golf industry stuff. And so from my perspective, Liv has certainly dealt with some waning interest this year. And when Liv events are on, there are certainly people who are very interested in them. But my sense is that they're not penetrating the mainstream discourse in the way that they did last year. So I wonder from your point of view, which is very different from mine as as somebody who writes about live and has been to events and all that kind of stuff. Is that just my perception that the interest in live has been waning or is that something that people on the inside or people covering the league have noticed as well? No, it's definitely something we've noticed. And I think one of the, <clears throat> I know you and I have talked about this before, but the biggest thing with Liv wasn't what was happening on the course. It was what was happening off the course. It was the player movement. Who's going where? What's Jay saying about Greg? What's Greg saying about Jay? It was that back and forth, you know, mudslinging that kept everybody interested in Liv for all that time. And then they would tune into the events on Sundays to see who won. It's interest levels at events have or have probably maybe maybe been a bit better with some turnout um obviously i was at you know the the opener in mexico at mayacoba but no no there wasn't a really great atmosphere there but not many resort you know events get great atmosphere so that's nothing against yeah. live there wasn't a great atmosphere at the pga tour event that was at mayacoba exactly but i would say yeah. like the amount of the amount of bachelor parties that went for that event was crazy <laughs> it was it was there were at least four or five that were out walking the grounds that day uh, or, that, or that weekend which is crazy um but yeah it's the the interest level on the course has maybe gotten a bit better not from the outside looking in, but at events. Um, I think they're they're getting a better turnout at places. Uh, their their party hall atmosphere at Adelaide was absolutely wild. Uh, they're going to keep doing events like that. They're going to keep doing things like that because they've seen the success and what it can bring in and the the social media engagement it drives, the, the fan interest from people wanting to go to the events. It'll drive that. Interest, like I said, is there a little bit better off the course though? Not as much anyways, because like we said, there isn't that same player moving because they have to have their rosters locked in now that they have this league concept. It's I think it'll all I think I'm curious to see what the free agency kind of transfer period looks like coming up after next week, 
They're going to be able to, you know, trade players and move players. They were allegedly supposed to do that last year. And the only really thing we saw was the, the two moves with Dustin Johnson um, getting rid of Taylor Gooch and picking up Peter Uline uh, and the, a few other switches that came. Matt Wolf moved teams. Uh, it's I think we're going to see a lot more movement with that, given the fact that they've got that 25 to, to 44 is like. So long story short, the way live is going to break down their points. One through 24 is their the lock zone, they call it. And those are the players that are locked in for 2024, no matter what. 25 to 44 are in the open zone, which means that they can those players can be traded. They can be dropped from their teams, picked up by other teams, complete and total free agency with them. They can either stay with their team or they can move. And then 45 to 48 are that drop zone area, like we talked about earlier, that would be somewhat relegated, but have a chance to play their way through. I'm curious to see what the transfer period looks like and how many teams are moving people around. I think that could be interesting to pick up some of their interest off the course. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, waning interest has been across the board. I don't think they've reported their TV viewership numbers since like the second or third event of the year. I know SBJ still goes through and, you know, kind of takes them to task on a few of those for, for the different ways that they look at their ratings and what they do. Um, but I will say the broadcast has gotten a bit better. Still not saying much given from how poor it was last year. But they show a lot of shots, which is a, a feather in the cap for them compared to what the PGA Tour and what we've gotten from NBC and Golf Channel for the last year. But they still struggle with providing the context for those shots. Like It's cool to be able to sit back and see golf shot, golf shot, golf shot. You can see so much. What what was the context of it? What does it mean other than the fact that, oh, if they keep playing really well, they're going to make a ton of money at the end of the week? All right. So, you know, something that is really significant about what Liv is doing and has been done well is the live event aspect, right? That's not something that necessarily comes through on the telecast, which, as you mentioned, has had its issues. And to be fair, the PGA Tour telecasts have had significant issues this year as well. But um, the on-site event, to my mind, has has always been pretty impressive at live what what yeah. they stand up and the experience that they provide at a golf course for a you know I, I mean yes they have all the money in the world to do what they want but it's it's working uh to as far as i can see now i've i've just been to one you know i i went to live portland and that was one of my main takeaways i was like this is a real thing here this is a real event it doesn't have that eerie potemkin village vibe to it where they're just putting it on for TV, there's something happening on site. So is is that something that you've picked up on or continued to pick up on this year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the, the one thing that kind of really tripped me up when we were in Portland together was the, did you, did you ever see the guy that was on the unicycle that was riding around and juggling <laughs> I, during competition? I never saw him, but I certainly heard about him. Their, their tongues were okay, wagging I, in, the, in the press room. Yeah, exactly. I've, I haven't seen anything like to that level since, but as far as, you know, the music and the festival atmosphere and all of that, the, the fan village is, is, is actually pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. They get some really good, you know, really good food options in there, some beverage options for, for the adults and for the kids. They've got a, like the, the little kids village that they do where they're actually teaching, you know, courses where they've got STEM and stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting what they, what they do there and they give fans so much like you almost forget there's a golf tournament going on when you go to some of these events, but that's who they're kind of catering towards. They like this festival fun atmosphere. They don't want it to be as, as you know, rigid as a PGA tour day would. They want you to know that you can go out, you can come here for four to five hours. You can have fun and you can watch a little golf from some of the best players in the world, not all of the best players in the world, but some of them and then go about your day. And it's, I it's, it's completely there. And I think that's the one thing that they've really, really, really done well is the fact that they make it engaging for fans, mm -hmm. right? It's not like you're just going there to watch golf. You can actually, they've got, you know, chipping contests and putting contests everywhere where you can you know, win money or prizes or whatever. They've got so much going on that it, it's a very interactive day for fans. And that's not something you see at a whole lot of PGA tour events or any PGA tour events for the most part. They might have some small stuff here and there near a merchandise tent or something, but I will, uh, it's, it's impressive when you go out and see how much live gear is being worn by people. They'll go out, they'll buy the hat, they'll do this. Um, high flyer stuff just flies off the shelves. I don't know if that's the fill, probably if that's just the fill, you know, issue there or whatever. But uh, fireball stuff, people love that. Um, I saw four live golf hats at the Solheim Cup, which I did not expect to see. Mm. Um, but that was, that was interesting enough to say the least. Probably from people that went to the Valderrama event also over there, I would assume. But 
yeah, it's it, there's there's definitely interest in the fans that they, they do show out for it and they seem like they all have a great time. And, you know, that's obviously there. But like you said earlier, it's it's impressive what they've done, but kind of takes away from it, given how much money they have at their disposal to be able to hire all the production companies to put on these events. But this year they have really, you know, tightened up their their budget as far as the production stuff goes. And they're still able to put on put on a pretty decent product. So it's it's impressive for what they're able to do. They're hiring some really impressive musical talent to come and play concerts after the fact. Um, it's they're they're absolutely nailing that aspect of it. And I think if anything, that could be you know, something that helps the helps the league grow going forward in the future is the fact that they can say, look at all these musical acts, look at these people who are aligning with us. Look at the people they're getting to play in their pro-am and they're creating, you know, social content off of that. You know, they had the Barstool guys out there. They've done stuff with a bunch of professional football players, basketball players, drivers, athletes, actors. They're getting big names to to align themselves with Liv, and I think that's only going to help them going forward. Yeah, and and that's going to be a gradual creep, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, as this league gets normalized and people start to realize that it's not a PR problem for them to be associated with it anymore, you're going to see more and more of these big names showing up at events and linking themselves with this brand, right? For a little while there, that would have been a major risk. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's not it doesn't seem like it is anymore that that kind of hard news juice that Liv had where New York Times reporters and Washington Post reporters were showing up and asking the questions that those kinds of journalists ask. They're not there anymore, yeah. and and so that has taken some of the pressure off. They they showed up at Bedminster again. Yeah, that's always gonna some be of the that. guys from the from the New York yeah. media and all yeah. that. And I'm sure we're gonna get plenty down at down at Doral next week as well. But like going back to to Portland, do you remember how contentious some of those some of those interviews and and press oh, yeah. conferences were? I mean, it was it was last year? it was Brooks's first event, right? And he yeah. was in a a foul mood. Right. He <laughs> I hit, he hit me. He hit me with a thanks, yeah, chief, after right. I asked him about uh, <laughs> yeah, he's after out, I asked chief. him of what kind of after I got him, what kind of uh, what kind of media training they got <laughs> because right. they all gave the same answer. Yeah. And uh, Ari, uh, Ari Fleischer was standing three feet off the podium. Haven't seen him since. Oh, really? or not, okay. I've seen him since, but yeah. I, I've seen him since. But I haven't seen him like standing like, yeah, right being, next being to the podium, taking dog. taking notes like he was yeah. then. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. you know, the, and, and they're sitting right in front of me. It was a, it was a New York Times reporter and. There were uh, people who were there to report uh, hard news, right? Not sports yeah. news, and I and I'm not insulting sports news or anything. That's obviously what I do, but uh, yeah. you know that it's a it's a different kind of atmosphere when you have those kinds of reporters there. And yes, it absolutely was contentious. You can see you could see that the players who were giving those press conferences were not at all used to being asked to engage with these issues. And so their their attitudes came through clearly about it. Yeah, and the the, the point I want to make there with, with that is the fact that there has been nothing even close to that this year, aside from before the majors when they're asking about what it's going to be like to come back with the guys and and, and you know what, what you know when you're you're seeing the the players you haven't seen in a long time, you know, what's it going to be like or when Brooks played played on the Ryder Cup team. Yeah. That's the only even bit of contention that we've seen with these press conferences. And I know that the issue of sports washing has been brought up a lot. Golf week has, and Eamon Lynch has written a lot about it. I've written about it. We've talked about it a lot. And if people are saying, you know, well, you know, sports washing is working because those questions aren't being asked anymore. It's like, it's, it's such a tough line for us to walk because we probably should still keep asking these questions, but we know the answer we're going to get. And we only get a few guys for a little bit of time. That's the one thing that a lot of people don't understand is we don't have the access to the players at live events that you would at a PGA tour event, right? You can request to to bring people in. It's up to the player more than more likely than not, if they're going to say no, like Dustin Johnson was leading after the first day in Portland last year, and he didn't talk to the media. I don't know if you remember yeah. that part of yeah, it. Yeah, I, like well, I remember it was didn't. so hard to get players that you wanted. Like yeah. it was just like we're going to give you who we're going to give you. And then even now, it's even more difficult because what they used to do is they would bring everybody. Everybody would go to scoring at once, right? So it was we were basically had a feeding frenzy, picking off as many people as we could that weren't going to be you know standing on the standing for the normal press conference after the round. Now they're doing scoring at whatever hole they end on. 
They're not going back to the tent. So we don't have that ability to pick off guys as they come through. So if you want to try and get somebody, you got to run out onto the course, try and find them wherever the the heck they might be out wow. there, and then sprint back in to try and get stuff at the at the press conference near the near That's score. diabolical. It's, That's got to be intentional. <laughs> It's well, the, the reason given when they, when they put out the press release for doing all that was the fact that, oh, it's going to save like, you know, so much time for the players and they can go back to doing, you know, their, they can go to the range. Right, right, None right, of right, these right, guys right. go to the range yeah, after yeah, yeah. Bryson sure, might sure, be the sure, only sure. one that goes to the range after mm-hmm. a round. Yeah. So, but that's just another wrinkle of that, that I think that to, to defend us, you know, us big J journalists who are out there, us entertainment reporters who are out there on the front <laughs> right. lines doing all this cover and live like we don't we just don't get that access anymore that, yeah. like, like we would normally get so it's just should we still be asking these questions probably but yeah i can understand a lot of us who have kind of pivoted who are trying to actually talk about the things that are happening right now and not the stuff that we've already covered and people have already given answers on or not answered in the past yeah or or, or shown what they're gonna do in response to and and they've been trained on all those questions at this point. So you're not going to get the interesting stuff that everybody got at live London where nobody was prepared. And so a lot of things were let slip and that's just, they've tightened up and I, 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 I'm with you on this, you know, and, and we're all, we're all trying to serve our audiences and to, to be frank, our audiences don't want us writing every single week about sports washing in the same way over and over again. I think that this is still a relevant consideration and something that everybody should absolutely keep in mind when they're yeah. thinking about live or watching live. I, I think we've been pretty clear in urging people to do that. And as you say, Eamon Lynch at your own publication has been very consistent on the issue himself. But you know, at a certain point, you've had your say and you've got to keep covering what's happening because that's the job and that is what is serving the audience. So we're all yeah. where the, the media is put in a difficult position here, you know, and, and, and everybody I'm sure is, is trying their best with it. Now a, a media related well, question here, not to, not, not to, uh, you know, uh, look inward too much or, or, or navel gaze oh uh, too much here. We're, we're toward oh the boy. end of the podcast, you know, this is what we can do here. Um, <laughs> You mentioned, I remember you mentioning the, the last time we talked about Liv in, in February or so, that articles that you were writing about Liv were doing major like numbers on sort yeah. of off months for the golf season. You know, yeah. you write about Liv in January or February, and all of a sudden it's just, you know, giving you the kinds of page views that you might get if you were writing yeah. a preview for the Open Championship. And so has that remain the case are you still noticing that readers are avidly seeking out the latest live stuff depends on what the what the area of conversation is game stories and all that still you know on on, on sundays sure there'll be some some interesting views there and be some some interesting you know spikes in numbers when we see a guy like dj win or cam smith or one of the big names when when charles howell and uh do you remember danny lee won the yeah. second live event of the yeah. year yeah the How com- about that? Com- yeah, the see, those story. Lee. Those two guys yeah. didn't. Yeah, those those two guys. Yeah, he hasn't really yeah, done much since. Those Lee two guys me. really haven't. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Feast or famine. <clears throat> I'll leave that one alone. I'll leave that one alone. Yeah, uh, it's their interest is still there in some cases, but it depends on what it is. When it comes to the OWGR stuff, obviously we're getting huge playoff of that. When it came to the framework agreement, obviously we had massive massive playoff of that, massive interest there. But like we said, the game stories and the and what the league is doing on a week to week basis, not as much. But it's those overarching, you know, stories and storylines that have the bigger ramifications. That's the stuff that we're still seeing a whole lot of interest in. And that goes back to what you and I talked about 20 or 30 minutes or so ago, talking about the interest level has dropped across the board off the course just because they're, it's not as divisive as it used to be. Like they've already disrupted the market. Now they're here. Like there's, they're, they're, that's, they're still divisive and it's still, there's still the one side versus the other in some aspects, but it's not nearly as, as bad as it used to be. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the massive, you know, headline things for, for newspapers and stuff was if it bleeds, it leads. So like you need the, you need that kind of, you know, gory, bad stories that are going to do a whole lot of numbers because people like to read about that stuff. It's just, it's how it is across the board. So we're still seeing some, but it's not certainly like it was when, you know, DJ left or all these players, the rumors for players leaving was happening and all that. It's, it's, it's certainly not to that level. No. 
But still interest, though. That's why I'm going to spend the full week in Miami. That's why I went to went to Mexico to start off the year. It's there. There is still very much interest in this. But I think that's because people want to know what's happening and Live doesn't release a whole lot of info. So that's what's up to what's up to people like myself. And, you know, we mentioned Bob Herrig on this. Evan Priest from from Digest has, has been to a lot of events and covered a lot of this pretty well, too. Like it's it's basically on us to try and go out there and, and shed some light on what's what's actually happening through there. And I think, you know, a lot of people in the media have sort of picked up on that. I think not to not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but I think golf week is kind of early on that one. But it's a beat. Um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to say the least. It's it's a I never thought when I joined Golf Week in 2019 that this is the kind of stuff I'd be writing about or doing when I signed up to be our college and, and amateur beat reporter four years ago. You know, it's the, the game has definitely changed, changed quite a bit since then. That's for sure. All right, Adam, keep doing your thing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and we'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure. Join Club TFE. It's awesome. This episode of the Friday Golf Podcast was produced by Matt Ruchis. Thank you, Matt. If you have a moment, please rate and review the Friday Golf Podcast wherever you might be listening to us. I think the Apple Podcasts ratings and reviews are especially meaningful. So if you're there, that would be a big help to us. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.